You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Don't we all want to be able to impact others and be a blessing to others? Well, again, this is what this message is really all about. How was Joseph made steady under fire, considering all of the things that he had to deal with? How was his life made full? Well, simply, it can only be traced right back to God. You have to put God behind all of Joseph's life's experience. And that's the only conclusion that any of us could come to. Is there someone in your life that you want blessed? How are you going to be someone who can bless them? In today's message, Pastor Mike speaks about how Joseph was able to bless his family because he was steady in the Lord, meaning he never let his faith shake. While I know that's easier said than done, that's the way to do it. But you don't have to keep your faith steady on your own. You can always ask God to help you remain resilient and strong in your own faith. And He will. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 49 as he begins his message, The Fruitful Bow. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a wall. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above Blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who is separate from his brothers. Now let me set this up for you. Jacob is dying. He summons for his 11 sons and now his two grandsons, right? to his deathbed, and notice in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 49, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So in other words, Jacob is going to prophesy over them. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Remember uh, Jacob's name after wrestling with the angel uh, back a few chapters ago, His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. 
The name Israel indicates his new relationship that he had with God. Someone who is governed by God. That's literally what the name Israel uh, means. And as they gather around Jacob, proceeds to prophesy over each one of them. He addresses their character, each one of his son's characters, and also he makes mention of what will happen or take place in their lives in the future. But this morning, we're particularly concerned with his words about his son Joseph, because a greater number of words and lines were assigned to him. You know, most of what was said and recorded about his other sons were really about their inconsistencies and their failures and their sins. But now when he comes to Joseph, he's going right around as the sons are gathered around his bed, one right after another, he prophesies over them, tells them, you know, mentions some of the things that mark their character, their personalities, and then also he prophesies concerning their future. And, but then he comes to Joseph, who, as you know, was Jacob's favorite. And it's at that point where, if you would, you can just kind of sense this in, in the words that he uses to describe his son Joseph. His eyes light up and his tongue is loosened because as it relates to the other sons, you know, we only have like a line or two. But when we come to Joseph, we have the larger prophecy recorded for us and his commentary on Joseph and who he was. But the chief characteristic that was assigned to his favorite son, Joseph, and his descendants was fruitfulness. God wants our lives to be fruitful as well. Jesus even addressed that subject in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, which is known as the vine and the branches chapter. It's all about his people producing fruit. God wants to produce and reproduce fruit in and through our lives. Jesus himself said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And so Jesus is seeking to not only you know, do that work of restoration and healing and salvation within our lives, but he also wants kids, his children, to be fruitful as well. So anyway, the chief characteristic that was assigned to Joseph and his descendants was fruitfulness. Although, and in spite of the fact that during Joseph's life experience, he had been harshly dealt with. He had been attacked. He had been slandered. But nevertheless, all of the while, he stood firm, and God blessed him, God was with him, and he prospered. He was the most fruitful of all of his brothers. And so were his descendants. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 33, in verse 17, that particular text of Scripture refers to the ten thousands of Ephraim, the thousands of Manasseh, referring to Joseph's sons. Those were the sons that were born to Joseph while he was there in Egypt. In fact, uh, Ephraim was even more profitable than was his brother Manasseh. Ephraim, if you think about it, produced five of the 15 judges of Israel. Most notably of all of those judges was the prophet Samuel, kind of the go-between between, you know, at the end of the period of judges and the prophets and the first king of Israel, who was King Saul. And it was also from the tribe of Ephraim that came Joshua, who was Moses' successor. What Moses failed to do 
Joshua continued and actually was able to lead God's people into the land of promise, into the land of Canaan. Now, all of this was because Joseph depended upon God. That was the secret to his prosperity and his being this fruitful bough that Jacob is referring to. It was all about his dependency upon God. You see, he, Joseph was someone who was totally immersed in God. His life was totally immersed in God. Now, this prophecy concerning Joseph that was uttered by the lips of Jacob is laid out for us in three parts. And the reason why I'm drawing that to your attention this morning is that it'll just help you to follow along. And uh, remember, this is all about our lives being fruitful. This is not some kind of a history study or lesson. God wants our lives to be fruitful, so how do we go about that? How do we attain that? Well, let's follow along in Joseph's life, in Jacob's life. So three parts, the first of which is Joseph's fruitfulness. So Jacob refers to that. Secondly, the secret of that fruitfulness, which is, by the way, is revealed in the names and the attributes of God, which is recorded for us in verses 24 and 25 of our text. We're going to break all of this down for you in just a moment. And then lastly, Jacob refers to the fact of how the blessings of God are greater than any other of another origin. So no matter what you experience, the blessings that you receive in your life's experience, education, uh, schooling, the advantages that you might have over other people being born into a certain kind of a family, riches, wealth, prosperity, whatever, you know, they don't even come close to the blessings that only God can provide for his people. So that breaks down this prophecy for you in these three different parts. Now, I want you to notice that the prophecy begins with two images here. Go back to our text. The first of which is a vine planted near a spring, and then secondly, an archer that's steady under attack. Verses 22 through 24. We have listed there for us those two images. And think about this, uh, particularly if you've been around for the last couple of weeks in, in this particular section as we've been talking about Joseph and his fruitful life, and also the uh, difficulties that he encountered over the course of his life, both aptly describe Joseph, who was a man who was attacked on many different fronts. You know, months ago, when we were first introduced to Joseph here in our Origins series, he was betrayed by his brothers and thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery down in Egypt. Then while there in Egypt, he was actually purchased by a fellow whose name was Potiphar, and he held a high position within the kingdom under Pharaoh's administration. We were introduced to another in our cast of characters who was Potiphar's wife, who had eyes for Joseph, uh, regularly, daily, seeking to seduce young Joseph. And Potiphar's wife, on this one particular occasion, had dismissed all of the other servants in their home, and once and for all, she was going to have her way with Joseph. But Joseph wouldn't have anything to do with that. And so she grabs hold of his raiment, and he runs out the door naked, right? And then, of course, to cover her tracks, 
Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of seeking and trying to rape her. So that's being attacked on another front. But then, to make matters worse, her husband Potiphar threw an innocent man, Joseph, into prison without even a hearing or a trial. Because, you know, they had to keep their image up. They didn't want to address this whole issue in front of uh, people. Remember, he had a very high position within the court of Pharaoh. So talk about being attacked on many different fronts by his brothers, Potiphar's wife, Potiphar himself. And by the way, all of this took place over a period of 30 years of this young man's life. Could you imagine? It was one thing right after another until finally sitting in prison, uh, facing an unsure future. And yet all of the while, he remained steady, unmoved, as Jacob indicates in his prophecy here. Notice in verse 24, he refers to it in this way. He says, his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hand were made strong. You see that? Then also, so that's the first image that is uh, projected here for us in Jacob's prophecy. But then also, Joseph was fruitful as well. Notice he's referred to as the fruitful bough or the fruitful uh, vine uh, by a well. So not only a vine that produced fruit for his own household, but for others as well. Who am I referring to? As the Egyptians. Remember, through an unusual series of circumstances, the interpretations of dreams for Pharaoh, he counsels Pharaoh that there were going to be two periods of seven years that were going to take place. One would follow the other. The first would be a period of seven years of plenty, followed by another period of seven years of famine. And so remember, Joseph counsels the king, counsels Pharaoh to, during the seven years of plenty to store up the food, gather together all of the resources of Egypt that they possibly could so that they would be able to sustain them during the seven years of famine, which would follow the result of which people came down into Egypt because there was no food to purchase or, you know, for themselves anywhere uh, in the world. And through uh, Joseph's counsel and his administration, by that time he's already uh, the prime minister uh, there in Egypt, second only uh, to Pharaoh, and was able to make unbelievable amounts of money because of, of what he was able to do in the faithful way that he administered his position there in Pharaoh's uh, court. And so not only did he produce fruit for his own household, but for others as well, the Egyptian. You see, his branches climbed over the wall and blessed others. So that's the idea. Not only his own family, Israel, but also the Egyptians as well. You know what this reminded me of? My dad, I'm Italian, you know that. And, uh, Italians have this thing about gardens. And back then, I don't, know the way, I don't know if it's like this any longer, because I don't know how many of us, well, particularly here in New York, uh, unless you have a rooftop uh, kind of a garden, or uh, one of those uh, gardens uh, where, uh, what are they called? Uh, you know, where a bunch of people, uh, a community garden, right. And, uh, but anyway, back when I was a kid, in Hoboken, raised in New Jersey, we only had a very small backyard. But if you were Italian, you always, had fig, you always had a fig tree, you always had tomato plants, and you always had an apple tree. 
And I'm thinking about this apple tree that my dad had planted when I was just a kid and then growing up. And I don't know if my father knew how to trim back the tree so that it would produce more fruit. But our homes and our lots were very close to one another. And so the, the tree continued to grow and grow and grow. And each year it would produce these apples. But the branches would hang over on my next door neighbor's plot and lot on both sides of the house where the apple tree was planted. And every year they could be sure that they would have enough apples for themselves to eat. Not, so not only did we have apples, but our next door neighbor on both sides of us had apples as well. And that was okay. You know, it was a kind of a, it was sort of like a community garden because my dad, you know, he'd produce so much, so many figs that he'd give them away anyway, you know. And uh, everybody in the neighborhood, uh, we, we were raised pretty much in an all Italian neighborhood, so we all used to share whatever we were able to grow in our backyards. And if we had a good crop of tomatoes, well, then everyone on the block had, a, you know, tomatoes. And, uh, and so we used to just share those kinds of things. This is the image. Uh, I couldn't help but think of my dad in our backyard uh, when Joseph is described for us uh, in, in this way here in this uh, text of, uh, of Scripture. His branches climbed over the wall and blessed others. But this is a reference rather to Joseph's wisdom and tact in administering his duties that had been given him while he was there in Egypt as the prime minister. And how many people he blessed. And, and don't you want your life to be just as fruitful as that? Don't you want to be a blessing to other people? You know, if you just stop and think for a moment, there's probably someone exactly like that in your life, some very special person who's been a blessing to you. And uh, the result of their lives has been a blessing to you. Their lives has been fruitful, and, and, and that's made a real impact upon your own life. And if, if you just take a moment and think, you probably would be able to uh, be mindful of that person who had that kind of an impact and influence uh, upon you. Don't we all want to be like that? Don't we all want to be able to impact others and be a blessing to others? Well, again, this is what this message is really all about. How was Joseph made steady under fire, considering all of the things that he had to deal with? How was his life made full? Well, simply, it can only be traced right back to God. You have to put God behind all of Joseph's life's experience. And that's the only conclusion that any of us could come to. Now, notice the succession of the great names of God, which express his attributes. Verses 24 and 25. Let me break it down for you. He's referred to, Jacob refers to him as the mighty God. He refers to him as the shepherd. He refers to him as the stone of Israel. He refers to him as the Almighty, or the El Shaddai, if you will, in the Hebrew. That's it, you see. If he, that is either Jacob or Joseph, tried to stand against his enemies in his own strength, as so many of us do, especially guys, you know, we're so self-willed kind of a thing. I'll do it myself. I don't need anyone's help. Hey, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get wiped out. You're going to get wiped out. You know, he would have proved what Jesus said to his disciples in that same vine and branch chapter 
the fruitful chapter, in John's Gospel in chapter 15, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And that's so very, very true. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. You see, he's the secret to our success. He is the, he is the secret, which is no secret, to prosperity and our lives being fruitful. So Joseph, Jacob, they did not do that. They remained. They made their abode in God and was therefore able to stand. They were able to produce fruit, much fruit, and fruit that would last. You know, Genesis chapter 49 teaches us this by the image of God placing his strong hands upon the hands of Joseph as he draws his bow, like a father to steady and guide his son, teaching archery. In verse 24, let's read that again. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong. Now, Jacob, notice, mentions four titles that are ascribed to God here. So let me break that down for you. Let's consider each one of them. The first of which is the mighty one of Jacob. Okay, so what's Jacob thinking about here? Well, he's looking back upon his own life experience, all of the recollections, all of his own personal experiences with God. Remember, he's on his deathbed. He's going to die soon. Soon God's going to call him home. You know, you really can't look forward, you know, when you're in that situation. So you're looking back. And he's recollecting all of the wonderful experiences that he had with God. His experiences with God. For example, fleeing from his brother Esau. When we were first introduced to Jacob back several months ago in our study here in the book of Genesis. Remember, he ripped off his brother Esau's birthright. He tricked his father Isaac into giving him the patriarchal blessing rather than his brother Esau which was the elder brother. And remember, Esau swore a vow. As soon as my father Isaac dies, what was he going to do? He was going to kill his brother Jacob. So his mother got Rebekah, who was Jacob's favorite, right? Counsels him to go to escape, to flee to her brother Laban's house in Haran. And so off he goes. And so he's escaping. He's running. Finally, uh, a while later, actually years later, Esau's wrath is still very much alive, and news comes back to Jacob that Esau is ahead of him with armed servants, and he's going to make good on his promise to kill Jacob. And so God appears, right? God begins to counsel Jacob, and remember, Jacob sort of wears him down and actually softens his heart. And the only explanation that could be offered as, as how that whole thing uh, happened was to put God behind it. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, 
including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House with you.